Alrighty, we are back for another exciting edition of Cloverleaf, Leaf Radio. I'm the host of the most, the king of the quarantine, Jimmy Falcon, and we are back, joined again by the very talented, multifaceted Wyatt Weed. How are you, Wyatt? I'm doing good, man. How are you? Things are pretty good up here. It's been a little warm today, but I'm coping. How you been in the last year with COVID and whatnot? You know, I, I talk to people and I feel badly because so many people got hit so hard by COVID. And COVID did suck. Don't get me wrong. COVID sucked. Oh, yeah. But um, doing production and doing movies and stuff, we just kind of cruised right through and like our production all went online like we started doing online interviews and we started doing a whole bunch of online programs and we started doing uh video for virtual events so you know after a few months of delay in the beginning like we jumped over to doing the virtual stuff and our business took off and we did nice. okay we did we did all right you know we didn't get to see people we didn't get to go to movies we didn't get to have parties but um you know my wife and I, we work from home, and we've got our own business, so it was kind of, it was kind of like an enforced vacation for us in a lot of ways. Uh, so, so yeah, I shouldn't go on too much more about that because that'll, that'll piss people off. <laughs> oh well, I mean, uh, you could turn on the TV and get pissed off. It seems like anymore. Oh, uh, that that is an excellent point. That's an excellent point. <laughs> Damn it! Another football game now. <laughs> But uh, what's some of the projects you've been working on lately? I'm sure we'll bounce around from the decades here, but what's been up recently with you? Well, starting several years ago, and I don't want to put the guy on the spot, but it's been a couple years in the making now. There's a young filmmaker here in St. Louis named David Kirkman, and David Kirkman has been big into um, some of the more obscure Marvel characters excuse me, the DC characters, um, he's, he's very into static, static shock. Um, he's very into, um, you know, hardware and, and some of these other lesser characters, but he's been doing a lot of fan film projects. And, uh, for one of his films, static shock, uh, three, I believe he has had me working on that with him. Um, he's brought me into play to, to recreate my character, Bruce Wayne. And uh, the crazy thing is, is he, he brought me in like two years ago and we shot a big scene and then time went by and he was in post-production and he came up with another scene and he said, hey, I got this idea for this other scene. I was like, cool, sounds good to me. So we came back literally a year later wow. and did a whole other scene. And so now he's in post-production on it. Um, and then starting a out October of last year, there's these guys out of uh, Boston, Massachusetts, uh, Brandon and Alex, and they're working on a project called Spider-Man Monsters of Manhattan, and this is an epic web series. I mean, just absolutely epic. Like, the, the script was like 140 pages long. They're doing like five different web episodes that are probably going to be a half hour, 40 minutes long each. Um, and they have cast me as Nick Fury. Nice. I am sort of the old school 90s Nick Fury before he became Samuel L. Jackson. And uh, we shot a couple of times in Boston. They flew me out to Boston. And I got to work with some really amazing people because they're, they're tapping into the Internet. Like they're using a guy named Kevin Porter who has portrayed Batman a couple of times. Um, and then they they've locked into this actress named Tatiana Neva, 
um, who's played a bunch of different characters in a bunch of different films, and she's playing Black Widow. So the production's really cool. It's really ambitious. And now they're talking about flying me out to L.A. this fall to shoot a post-credit sequence um, that I'm really excited about. And they're talking about getting some name actors on board to do some cameos. So, so the fan films have gone insane. I've done just a ton of fan films. Um, but COVID really played heck with all the local productions, like all the film projects I was involved in locally in the St. Louis area, um, all the fan films and then local professional films, they just kind of disappeared. So my wife and I, earlier this year, we decided, let's just do our own thing. And we're doing this really tiny, really small ghost story. We've just moved into this like 130-year-old house outside of St. Louis, and it's not haunted, but it lends itself well to haunted house stories. So she and I have come up with this haunted house story and we're going to film it just me and her we're going to do it really low key really low tech there's this guy um a director who did shazam um david f sandberg and david f sandberg did a series of films for the internet um he did like lights out and shadowed and they're these really small little films he shoots with his wife and he was a big inspiration so we're we're starting to prep and shoot that right now, and we're going to shoot that for like the next three or four weeks, and that's probably going to be a feature. Um, so that's the creative stuff. Otherwise, you know, we do the corporate and commercial stuff to pay the bills, but uh, <laughs> the creative stuff has been really fun lately. Between the fan films and our own projects, we've 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 had some really neat stuff happening. Yeah, I forgot you did work for you. Work guys work for like corporate companies, don't you? Yeah, um, we do a lot of nonprofits, which is oh, cool. really interesting because, you know, you're you're usually helping put together a fundraising video for, you know, something that's really interesting, like the MS Society. Um, we do a lot of work within the Jewish community where we're helping raise money for stuff. And, you know, this spring we worked on a project for Yom HaShoah, which was the commemoration of the, uh, the Holocaust victims that died oh. during World War II. Yeah. So. You know, we're not doing the typical corporate, like, you know, go into a, you know, go into a supermarket and do asparagus commercials. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. The corporate I literally... stuff we do is really fascinating. We're, we're usually working with fundraising. We're working with kids. We're working with students. Um, and we get a lot of creative freedom. So even though it's not making movies, our clients usually, you know, they have an idea. They want us to make a point, And then they pretty much just cut us loose and let us go and let us have fun. So as far as the, the corporate world is concerned, we're, we're really lucky because we get a lot of creative control. Um, and, uh, and it's, it's been really, it's been really rewarding. We've made some pieces that I'm really proud of. And, and, you know, with them letting us be creative, you know, we can make it more interesting than just, you know, a cut and dry local TV commercial. We can, we can really have some creative fun with some of this stuff. Yeah, I don't know why I thought I saw you, like, in a white suit. You're like, hi, my name is John, and I'm a pharmacist at Johnson Pharmaceuticals. <laughs> no, that is not me at all. That is not me at all. However, I did audition a few years ago to play Roman Sionis, the Black Mask, in uh, another fan film, and I did wear a white suit for that, but I did not get the part, so you will oh. not be seeing me as uh, in a white suit anytime soon. Well, as far as the fan films go and stuff like that, I'm guessing that's a good 
Uh, I guess you don't have to have like the permission of the certain companies to do things like that. It's more like of a tribute kind of thing. Yeah, um, it's tricky ground, but a lot of it has to do with whether you intend to profit or whether you intend to raise money. Um, a lot of people raise money and they raise, you know, a few thousand dollars to help pay for the expenses of making a fan film. Um, some people, like these guys I'm working with in Boston, um, Brandon and Alex, they are kind of doing this as their entry level into um, Hollywood. So they're young, they plan on moving to Hollywood, and this is like their, they're doing it for the fun and the love and the learning, but they're also doing it as a calling card to Los Angeles. And it's already, it isn't even finished yet, and it's getting them noticed. But if you don't raise a ton of money and you're not paying people, then you're pretty much okay. Occasionally, people get tagged on stuff. Like, uh, there were these people who were doing a, a Batgirl series, and they got told to stop, but it was because the studio was developing their own um, Batgirl series. So they didn't know. Um, these guys who did a, this really hardcore R-rated Power Rangers reboot a couple <laughs> years back, um, they got told by Saban to stop, but Saban was planning on rebooting Power Rangers. So sometimes you sort of trip backwards into something that the studios are actually doing, so they don't want the interference. But then there's been stupid stuff. Like there's these guys who did this. I respect the guys for their effort, but there are these guys uh, who did a Star Trek film, um, Star Trek Axanar. And I want to say... They tried to raise like $100,000 and they ended up raising like $600,000 wow. and they started casting people who had actually been on some of the Star Trek series uh -huh. and then they were calling it not for profit, but they were doing things like paying people to build sets, renting sound stages, uh... paying crew people and that's unfortunately that's profiting and it doesn't work that way. So. Um, huh. There was another fan film that raised like $100,000 and was going to be an Alien fan film, and they got Carrie Henn, who played Newt in Aliens, to be involved. And then they got one of the actors who was a colonial Marine to be involved in it, and 20th Century Fox said no. And they're like, no, you can't spend $100,000 and pay actors who were actually in the See, film. Yeah, that's that's the point that's I was thinking. So, so, yeah, you can't do that. And... Uh, but yeah, I think there's a sweet spot. I think if you don't raise too much money and you don't, you know, you don't try to sell anything and you don't try to uh, get too big on it, then I think I think you're fine. But you know, I'm there's still a benefit to these things because you know your name gets out there, you meet a lot of people, you get invited to conventions, um, you have a lot of fun. It introduces you to other people. I've met people because of my fan film work that I never would have met otherwise. Um, so, so it's beneficial. It's fun. It uh, there's a lot of upsides to it. There really is. Oh, I'm sure it's really awesome and a lot of fun. Yeah. Now, of course, you've done more than just work on smaller films and your own films. You have been sure. in the Hollywood scene back in the day. Uh, how did you get involved with Predator Two, and what was that whole experience like? That was an awesome film. Predator Two. Um, I was. You know, they, they say it's not, they, it's not what you know, but who you know. Um, I would say you need to know stuff and you need to be skilled and you need to be trained in your, your craft. But 
connections is a good thing. I had been working on a low-budget martial arts film in Los Angeles. And the guy who was directing it, Steve Wang, he had been on the Creature Crew for the first Predator film. He was on the second version. There was the Jean-Claude Van Damme version of the alien, which they got rid of and decided not to use, and then they shut down production, and then Stan Winston got involved, and he created the Predator that we know and love, and Steve Wang was on that Predator crew. Well, they went back down to Mexico and finished making the film with the new Predator, and uh, Steve got real close with a stuntman named Brian Simpson. And Brian Simpson did a lot of the stunts in the Predator suit. Now, something a lot of people don't know is um, when the Predator was by himself on screen, he didn't need to be Kevin Peter Hall. So, like, when the Predator was on screen with Arnold and needed to be seven and a half feet tall, they'd put Kevin Peter Hall in the suit. But if, like, the Predator was jumping off of a cliff or jumping through trees or standing next to an explosion, they'd put Brian in a suit that had been sculpted and sized for him. Hmm. So rather than try and find a seven-foot-two stuntman, they just took a regular-sized stuntman and just made a scaled-down suit. So Brian and I were the same size. We were the exact same size. And I got to know him real well working on this kung fu film. And then he got on Predator 2 doing stunts and stuff. And for the big end sequence where all the Predators decloak, they had a suit made to his size that was off of one of the molds from the first film. Had a different helmet and had a different paint job. But they were going to put him in the end sequence because they had suits that fit him. Well, the day beforehand, second unit decided they needed to go shoot some stunt stuff. They needed to do some sliding down the side of a building. They needed Brian to supervise it. So all of a sudden, they were short one predator. And Brian said, I got the guy. And Brian called me like, I swear, it was like a Monday night. He called me, said, I can't be in the suit tomorrow. You're my size. You'll fit the suit. Can you be there tomorrow? I was like, sure. So literally, I got the call on like Monday night. And Tuesday morning, I'm at 20th Century Fox climbing into a predator suit. Um, but Brian and I had worked together enough and I had played other monsters in other films and he'd seen me act with makeup on and in big foam suits. So he knew I could do it and he trusted me. Um, so yeah, so he basically, when, when, when he couldn't be there, he passed it down to me and then boom, I was, I was on set. So, um, it was really pretty amazing because I was such a huge fan of the first film. Like, the first film came out in 87, and I went out to Los Angeles in 88. Um, and me and all my friends who were into filmmaking loved Predator. And so when we got out there and we started associating with these people, when we started meeting people like Steve Wang and Brian who had worked on Predator, that was cool enough. But then to, the, to then actually come full circle and actually get to play a Predator um, was really pretty amazing. And it wasn't... Like, people ask me all the time, was the suit hot? Was the suit difficult to wear? The suit really wasn't that horrible. The suit was like, if you've ever been in a, a wetsuit, like a diving, scuba diving wetsuit, it's no worse than wearing a scuba diving wetsuit. Just imagine wearing a scuba dive wetsuit for, like, 12 hours. Oh, gosh. So, yeah, being in a wetsuit for 12 hours, it's a little taxing. But, you know, I was young. I was fit. I could handle it. They didn't make a shoot for really long stretches of time. We each had a handler who could pull our heads off and unzip our suits in between shots. So they took really good care of us. Um, 
But yeah, Danny Glover was awesome. The director, Stephen Hopkins, was awesome. We were moving really fast. We were just shooting a lot of footage really quickly, so there wasn't a lot of time to talk or screw around. But, um, you know, Kevin Peter Hall, um, you know, he really was a great guy. He was as great a guy as everybody talked about. He was that friendly, and he was just that cool and easy to talk to and hang around with. So it's a real shame that he died as young as he did. Um, but the weird thing about Predator 2 is it came, it kind of came and went. Like a lot of fans love it now, but at the time, it didn't do that well, not compared to the first film. And it just kind of came and went. Um, and we all thought, oh man, we're going to be superstars after this. And it kind of really didn't do anything for us. Um, just kind of blah. So years and years and years went by, and then the internet came about, and all the fans started talking to each other online, and then DVD came about, and streaming came about, and this movie got rediscovered, and fans just went crazy for it. And so, you know, 20 years after the fact, people are saying, hey, do you have any pictures you could sign? Or, hey, could you come to a convention? And I was like, really? Mm-hmm. You know, and it had been so long ago that I kind of felt like I kind of felt like an imposter, like, why am I doing this? But, you know, and then it's legit. I mean, it's Predator, and it's real, and it really happened, and there are fans of it, and you got to appreciate the fans, and, you know, without the fans, you got nothing. And so I started going to these conventions and having a lot of fun doing it. Um, it it's just it's funny because it was so long ago. Um, same thing with Star Trek. I was on Star Trek back in... Oh, gosh. I was on Star Trek, like, the fall before I was on Predator 2. And same thing with Star Trek. People have these Star Trek conventions and mm-hmm. these Star Trek uh, panels and stuff. And they invite me to be on and talk about Star Trek. But, you know, it was it was 1990. But, you know, it still was Star Trek. So right. it's kind of crazy that it's come back around all these years later. It's really, it's really crazy. But that's one of the cool things about the Internet. That's one of the cool things about the fans. Um, and, the, and the communities they build. And now there's fans all over the world, like Facebook. There's all these Facebook groups like um, Alien Predator Universe and various other Alien and Predator groups on, on Facebook, and they invite me to join. And then all of a sudden I'm communicating with and making friends with people in the U.K. and all over Europe. There's guys over there making their own fan films, and they're messaging me on the Internet and asking me advice about their fan films. That's, that's just really cool. The communication just across the ocean even because of these fans and because of these movies is, is really incredible. It's really a lot of fun. It's really a lot of fun to be involved in. Yeah, I always, uh, people ask me about doing the podcast. I've been doing it for almost 14 years now. And I think the best part, besides interviewing cool celebrities, is people listening to my show in places I know I'm never going to be myself. Yeah. So far away that I couldn't fathom being there on a random whim one day. Right, yeah. I'm hoping, I'm keeping my fingers crossed, um, I've had a heavy association with a lot of fans in the UK, especially Predator fans. And I'm hoping they keep talking about having a, a Predator convention in the UK and they keep talking about bringing me over. And I really hope that happens someday because I'm not sure when I'll ever be able to make it to the UK if they can do it, if they can if they can start a convention and fly some guests over for the convention, that would just be fantastic. That would just be an awesome benefit of being being associated with all of this. 
Oh, yeah, I'm sure that would be awesome. I've always wanted to go to England. That's where my ancestors came from. I thought it'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah, most of my family's from England, too. So nice. I, it just seems like I should go there sooner or later. I should oh, go definitely. there someday. Well, talking of cheesy uh, horror films, I didn't notice the last time we talked, you were in the sequel to Hell Comes to Frogtown, Frogtown 2. Uh, and did it, did it say I was in it? Or well, did it you worked, worked on it. I'm sorry. You worked on it. I, yeah, I should have been yeah. more specific. But uh, go ahead. What, how, did, uh, how did that come about? What was that whole experience? Well, it's fascinating um, because you said I was in it, and I had to stop and think because on those low-budget films, you do so many different things. It's like, was I in it? I could have been in it. I don't remember. Um Again, because of the, the famous Steve Wang, um, Steve Wang did all the really cool frog effects and makeup and costumes on the first film. And because I knew Steve, uh, they started working on the second film, and, like, the rights changed. Like, the, the same studio wasn't doing the film, and it passed down to a lesser studio, and um, York Pictures was doing it, and if you've ever heard anything about york pictures or if anybody out there has heard of york pictures york pictures has what is now kind of a, a notorious low-budget reputation but um york pictures makes charlie band and empire pictures look good um so york pictures are doing this film they're doing it for a fraction of what the first film cost um none of the stars are coming back but they talk to steve wang and they say hey can you do frog effects for this one and Steve said no, but he recommended some people, and Sandy Colora ended up doing the frog effects. And once again, it was one of those inside connections where Steve knew Sandy. I got the introduction to Sandy. Um, I started working peripherally on some stuff uh, with Sandy, not so much creature effects, but they needed some miniatures, and they needed some prop pieces. And so one thing led to another, and the next thing you know, I'm building miniature vehicles and blowing them up. I'm building rocket rangers with jetpacks in miniature and we're flying them, you know, 1940s style on a wire out in the middle of the desert. Um, you know, there were a couple of just like weird full-size props like jetpacks and guns and stuff that, and helmets that they needed. Um, and I worked on it off and on, gosh, I don't know, probably a couple of months, um, just whatever they needed. Um, whatever they needed it. Uh, one day there was an issue with makeup and Lou Ferrigno, who was on the film. I think the makeup guy either walked, not Sandy, another makeup guy. The makeup guy either walked or there was a conflict between him and Lou. Anyway, he couldn't do Lou's makeup. He wasn't going to do Lou's makeup. And Lou had to be in like half transformed stage where he was half man, half frog. And really it was just grease paint makeup. It was really just trying to do a frog pattern on his face and make him look green and make him look like he was transforming. So they had the drawings and the artwork and stuff. So they asked me if I could tackle it. And I was like, oh, this is not my forte. But so the first day they shot with Lou, I ended up doing Lou's makeup for his like half transformed frog face. Um, and then, like, they found somebody the following day so that the rest of the day is a loose shot. They just kind of took the pattern and took the photos and replicated it, and then I was able to go back and start doing miniatures and props and stuff. But that's that was fun. It was a really cool story to tell. It was terrifying at the time because it's like, 
hey, can you do the makeup on the Hulk? And I'm like, yeah, well, I, I think I can. <laughs> I was like, you know, no pressure. Um, but, you know, it was a fun experience. I don't think the film is very good, but um, it was a fun experience, um, and, and we got to do a lot of really cool things. Even films like that, they were shooting on, I think it was the Paramount Ranch, and the Paramount Ranch had this old western town, um, you know, and had I never worked on Frogtown, I never would have gotten onto that Western town set. And then, you know, for years, I'd go back there and walk around and take pictures and tell other people, hey, go to the Paramount Ranch, go to the Western town. Um, so, you know, even when you work on low budget films in Hollywood, even when you work on films that aren't great, you, you usually see things or are introduced to things or you meet people. And, and I'm friends with Sandy Calora to this day. Uh, Sandy Calora did very famous fan film called Batman Dead End. He kind of set the standard for fan films. Um, and then when I was working on The Dark Knight Returns, my fan film, I was telling Sandy about it and letting him know what I was doing. Um, so, but yeah, we still stay in touch. We're still friends. Um, I'm still in touch with Steve Wang. Um, and we've all gone on to do more things and different things. So, um, so yeah, even stuff like uh, Hell Comes to Frogtown 2, which was kind of a mess still was you know a really important movie you know for us for the connections and, and all the things we got out of it oh definitely and getting to work with lou ferrigno in that capacity even yeah. had to be cool i had the honor of interviewing him a couple of times he was a nice guy yeah i mean it depends i've heard people say things about lou because they go to a convention yeah. and they want a photo with him and he won't take a photo with him it's like well he goes to conventions to make money you know and He's a big name and he's a big draw and he and he wants you know he wants you to pay him. Yeah, I'm sure if you slid him money, he wants... he'd be more than happy to. And so, or like people bring stuff up and they're like, "Hey, will you sign this? Will you sign this for me?" It's like, "Yeah, it'll cost you," and and I understand it because I I'm not somebody who gets really insistent about, "Hey, if I'm going to sign something of yours, you have to pay me." I'm not somebody who does that. But someone like Lou, gosh, he probably gets harassed so often. Right. I can understand absolutely why he does it. There's probably no reason to be rude about it. But let's face it: sometimes fans can, sometimes fans can get a little indignant. Fans oh, can, sure. uh, fans can get a little pissy and start complaining about people. So right. um, I absolutely understand it. Um, there was this one time at a convention. Um, this kid came up to me and he handed me something to sign. It was like a predator thing. And I signed it. He walked away. And <laughs> then 15 minutes later, he walked, he came up again with like two more predator things. I was like, huh, well, this is interesting. Maybe he's going off and he's finding these things and he's bringing them back to me. So I signed them. And then he shows up with like two or three more things. I was like, kid, what, what is going on here? Why, where are you getting all this stuff? And he's like, oh, my dad has a booth. Oh, my uh, God. On the other side of, my dad has a booth on the other side of the showroom floor. I was like, hey, w wait a minute, wait a minute. So I went over and I met his dad, and his dad was like, I'm so sorry. He said, I would have come to you myself. He said, I'm so busy, I can't get away from the booth. He said, I was going to come over and talk to you and thank you. He said, and I've got some Predator stuff here that I want to give to you as a thank you. He said, this is for me, I'm not going to sell it. And I was like, okay, all right. Because, you know, I, I see people at conventions sometimes, and they're having people sign 10, 20, 30 oh, things. Yes. It's like, you don't want to sign it for free and then it turns up on eBay the next right. day. That's kind of 
annoying. But yeah, I, this kid kept bringing me stuff, and I was like, what in the heck are you doing? Where are you getting this stuff from? But it, it all ended up cool, and the guy is cool, and we're friends, and he's invited me to a couple of his conventions, and so it's all good. It's just, you know, you wonder sometimes what people are doing with this stuff. And I've even told people before, I'll sign this for you, but I don't want to see this turn up on eBay tomorrow. So, but yeah. yeah, I prefer to have my stuff personalized anyways. It means a lot more. Yeah. Well, and to be real honest with you, sometimes we get stuff, we get stuff ordered online and um, we say, who do you want it signed to? Who do you want it made out to? And they say, oh, we don't want it personalized. And that's a red flag. Right. Just for fans out there who are listening, just understand that. You know, if you want it, if you're one of those people who wants it just signed, great. I understand that, but it's a little suspicious sometimes when people don't want it personalized because if it's not personalized, then they can pass it on or sell it or or do whatever with it. And you know, once in a while, that's fine. But you know, if you're going to make a business out of it, then you know, I want in. <laughs> All right. Yeah, that's got to be annoying. Well, you're going to be at the Dark History Con again this year, and besides that and uh, the Nick Fury role, what else do you got coming up? Why it was nice talking to you again, man. Um, I have... Uh, this, I, I, the main thing that's coming up is um, this, uh, this film that my wife and I are working on, this feature, and this is something we're going to release. This is something we'll probably put on DVD. It's something we'll put on streaming, probably on Amazon. Um, but it's a, it's a ghost story. I'm really looking forward to it because I'm just trying to make it moody and scare people. I don't very often set out just to try and scare people, but this time I'm trying to scare people. I get to play three different characters, which is really cool. I get to play an old guy, and I get to play twin brothers, and so that's going to be a lot of fun. Um, and we just we started test shooting. We started doing makeup, and uh, we're going to start shooting the first scenes tomorrow. And... I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm hoping that I can take it to conventions next year or, or who knows, maybe come back to Dark History and uh, and uh, play it at Dark History. But um, I love coming to Dark History. I don't know. We probably talked about this last time. I love coming to Dark History because I spent the years of 1976 through 1980 living in Urbana. Um, I had friends in Champaign-Urbana for years. I... <clears throat> go back to Champaign-Urbana whenever I can. I go to my high school reunions there. So I'm a big fan, not only of dark history, but of Champaign-Urbana as well. So you really don't have to twist my arm to get mm. back to Champaign-Urbana. You know, I'm pretty willing to go. Um, and, I, and I like spending a couple extra days there so I can hang out with friends, go get, go down to the campus, go get some pizza, go get some Papa Del's pizza, you know, go to some of my favorite places, go out to Marketplace Mall and do some shopping. And, yeah, I love coming back to, to Champaign-Urbana and, and spending some time there. So, um, so yeah, I'm glad, I'm, glad they're, I'm glad Brian's having me back. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. And last year we got hammered with the rain. I remember, or two years ago, we got so much rain. Hopefully this time the weather will be better and uh, people will be able to come out more. Oh, definitely. Well, it was nice talking to you again, and best of luck with all your upcoming projects, and can't wait to see you in a couple of months. Yeah. Well, yeah, thank you for having me on, and uh, anytime, anytime you can catch me on the phone, just uh, just call me up and we'll, we'll, we'll chat. <laughs> well, we'll delve into some more of your uh, funny, well, not funny, some of your cheesy horror uh, films you've been in in the past. 
Oh, some of it is funny though. I've got some funny stories. I've got I've got some low budget tales that we haven't cracked open yet. Stories of antics on set. Stories of crazy silliness and. You know, you have to ask me sometime about the first time I played a zombie in a movie, and we'll we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. Well, did it happen to be like 1990? Because I almost brought that up. Um, was this um, the Laughing Dead? Yeah. Oh yeah, we'll have to we'll have to put the Laughing Dead on the back burner and talk oh, about that one man. next time. Sounds good. Enjoy the rest of your night. Okay. Well, thank you, sir. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Alrighty, everyone, thanks for listening. Have a great night.